Greetings, everybody. Here is our next podcast. This one is for, let's see, Wednesday, April 24th. Wow. All right. It's after Easter. We have celebrated. This is wonderful. Ah, back to class. <laughs> so uh, we're going to continue, and we're going to talk a little bit about Paul's letters. Last time, it's been two weeks, but that time we talked a little bit about Paul's travels, about all the different places that he went to, all throughout sort of the known world at that time, and especially the Roman world kind of gets the church situated um, before his end, uh, before he ultimately dies. Um, and so uh, is really a very important figure, and frankly is incredibly important as the church moves on, because his writings, honestly, uh, inspired obviously by God and the Holy Spirit, help to sort of guide us as we are thinking about how to construct things. So now here's the tricky thing, and we haven't run into this problem in a while, probably since uh, sometime in the Old Testament when we were studying that, but this week we have to cover 13 letters. 13 letters that I will just say are packed with all kinds of things that are really good, really useful, but we're not going to get to it all. It's a good reminder that confirmation is not the end point. This isn't graduation, right? Instead, you are, you continue to learn about different things. Um, and so what I thought we would do is uh, kind of talk through each one of his letters. So we have 13 of them. Let's run through all 13. I'm going to give you like the 10-second summary of each one. And honestly, my hope is is that you will remember when you hear some of the names, you will say, oh, that's one of Paul's letters. I, that's all I'm hoping for with this whole thing. So just keep in mind, remember, he is writing these 13 letters. Some of them, interestingly, are to places. So um, they are to people who are living in a specific place. He's trying to sort of encourage them sometimes or call them to do something new. Or he's writing to actual individual people. And, you, and we'll run across a couple of those that can be really helpful as we go along. All right, so are we ready? Here we go. All right, we're going to start with Romans. Romans is probably one of the more important books of the Bible after the gospel reading, um, simply because it is the most condensed version. We think it was written much later in Paul's career, and so he is probably nearing the end of his life. Interestingly, he's writing this to people in Rome, but he's never visited them before. And this is supposed to be sort of mutually encouraging them, give them a sense of uh, this is the saving work of God in Christ, that this is what God is up to. God is about saving, and that happens through Jesus Christ. And then how do we live out that life? I mean, he also mentions a lot about uh, the salvation of Jewish peoples. Um, so, for example, uh, does God break God's promises to the Jewish people, uh, since this is what he has done from the very beginning? You'll have to read it to figure it out. Um, it discuss a little bit about Christian conduct. How do you live under the Roman government and under this empire? How do you fulfill the law of love? How do you live together when you're disagreeing with each other? Really important stuff. And he's planning on visiting them soon, though it's not clear if he ever actually did that. All right, so next we have 1st and 2nd Corinthians. I will just say um, nicely that the problem with the Corinthians is pretty much everything they're doing is wrong. And then Paul is trying to say, hey, shape up. You got to get this right. There's all these sort of uh, uh, arguments between different people. Um, there's these fights between the group that Paul helped to, to kind of get going, and then there's another apostle that shows up. I think it's Barnabas, and there's another one from over here. And each of them, it's like they're already forming their own little denominations, right? So we have the Paul church, we have the Barnabas church, we got this church, we got this one. And, and Paul is trying to say, no, 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 it's Jesus's church. But they do, honestly, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Honestly, they are having fun, uh, trouble um, dividing themselves between rich and poor. They're dividing themselves... Um, 
um, amongst who is Jewish and who is not. They are uh, acting in really inappropriate ways. But there's also some really amazing parts of this of this passage. Notably, I think, uh, the parts it talks about the being the body of Christ, about using our gifts then as the body of Christ, with Jesus as our head, how do we live that out in the world? And frankly, uh, 2 Corinthians is kind of the same thing. First uh, and Second Corinthians are kind of dealing with the same pieces there. All right, next one is Galatians. And so we have in Galatians, he's writing them out of this deep concern that um, certain Jewish Christian people have basically said, uh, to be a good Christian, you have to become Jewish first, you have to become uh, circumcised, you have to do all those things before you can ultimately um, become Christian. And Paul is saying, that's not how this works. That's that God seems to be the, the, uh, <laughs> the God of all people, and they are instead justified by faith rather than law. I'm going to come back to that one in just a minute. But Galatians is trying to point them out to a different way. Um, Ephesians kind of follows the same way. Ephesians, which is written to the people in Ephesus, and it's really about this idea, same argument, honestly, about this Jewish and Gentile thing, but instead that they are, he uses this image of being one household of God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that one in just a minute, because I want to make another point about that. Philippians, which honestly is probably one of my favorite books in the New Testament, um, has it's actually a relatively short letter, four chapters, it's not very long, but he's talking about how it is that they can live um, dealing with the persecution that they've had to face, and, and at the same time, Paul is actually in jail when he is writing this one. And he's saying basically, um, even though he's in jail, even though they face persecution, he's saying there is something about joy that we find in the life of Christ that shows up even ever whenever we're dealing with these difficult things. Um, and so how is it that we can look for joy in the midst of our lives, even when bad things are going on? Um, Colossians is the next one. It really does center on, more than any of the others, it really focuses in on the fact that what Jesus does puts him above all of our other rulers and powers in the universe. And so anytime people try to say, oh, you know, uh, Caesar and Jesus, uh, Caesar is better than Jesus. No, 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 no. Jesus has, because of Jesus's place as, um, as God, and also um, because of God, of Jesus's willingness to go to the cross for the sake of all people, it lifts him to this greater place than any of the others with you. And then you get these really great images of what God does is sort of bring all people. You can almost imagine God, uh, you know that old song, uh, he, um, he's got the whole world in his hands, sort of bringing the whole world into God. That's really what's happening there. All right, we have First and Second Thessalonians. Thessalonica is the name of the city that they're writing this to. This is actually probably one of the places that uh, Paul helped to start, probably one of the first churches he was really connected to, and he loves these folks. You can tell he has been there. He has gotten to know them. He loves them. They are fantastic in his eyes. And so he's really, really positive about everything that they're doing. And while they're going through difficult things, um, just kind of kept, keeps on sort of saying, have faith, um, look for places that we can have hope, live in a holy way and get ready because Jesus is coming for them again. Um, so that's first and second Thessalonians. Then we have first and second Timothy. And obviously these are written to Timothy, who was one of the people that um, Paul traveled around with at different points. And so he sends instructions and helps them, helps them to say, look, there's going to be, uh, you're going to hear and run into true teachers and false teachers of what Jesus is up to. Stick to the true and um, try to live out all that way. And he kind of gives them some good advice along the way. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. 
All right, next one we have Titus. Titus is a, is a very short book, um, and it's honestly one that we don't read very much. But again, it's just trying to sort of talk about how it is that you live a life of grace. How do you live a life that has been baptized uh, in, in baptism? Um, they're really sort of important passages like that. So how do you how do you live this one, live this out? So there's this great passage of God has saved us, not because of deeds done by us, but in virtue of his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. It, it kind of ties us back to uh, what it is that God is up to um, in Jesus and that and the promises that we get in baptism. And finally, here we go. Are you ready? This is number 13, and it is to a person named Philemon. It looks like Philemon sometimes when you're looking at it. But Philemon is written, so just remember, I've talked about love before, Philadelphia, Philos, and we're getting that kind of at the beginning of that name. So this is somebody who uh, Paul has gotten to know. But this guy, uh, uh, Philemon, has a slave named Onesimus who has been taking care of Paul. He actually ran away from Philemon. And Paul is essentially sending this letter back to him to say, look, I know he ran away from you, but please continue to love him and take care of him because he did this for me. So that's kind of the point of that book. Again, it's a very, very short one. It's actually one that you could literally read in probably about five minutes. Like it does not take very long to get through and kind of does give you an image of, of how they tried to live these connections out to one another. Now, in these teachings... I'm going to do kind of a quick overview of things. There's kind of two different ways that, that uh, Paul tends to do this. The first one is this idea of being the teacher of a community of people. And so when he's writing these to these groups of people, so in Romans or Corinthians or uh, Galatians, Ephesians, any of these other ones, he's writing to a group of people and they'll essentially, when they gather together, they will read these letters out to sort of give them encouragement and things like that. The central, central fight that is happening, and frankly, it is, it's their kind of through everything, and I've lifted it up before, there is this real debate, the central fight in the church from the very beginning is about who is in and who is out. And it, it ends up being between two different people, Jews, and then uh, the other group of people sometimes gets called Greeks, sometimes it gets called Gentiles. Um, there's actually a, a, a word, it's goyim, it's the, the people who are basically not Jewish. And so because, remember, Jesus was a Jew uh, when he started off, right? Um, and so you run into this every all over the place where there's these fights between different people. And it ultimately comes back to something that human beings are really good at, which is kind of creating, uh, I had a professor once describe it as creating in-groups and out-groups. And in-groups are the people who are like you, who you kind of want to keep nearby. And out-groups are people who are different. And actually, that's not always a problem, um, just because that's how we naturally kind of do things. There are people who, um, you know, like uh, certain sports, or they like, uh, I don't know, um, apple pie with ice cream on top versus those that only put Cool Whip on top. That could be a fight we have at church. I don't know. Um, but there are these different kind of groups. The problem is, is that whenever it becomes a fight, it becomes this conflict. That's when things go wrong. And we start saying that the out group, those people are terrible. They're evil. Um, they're of the devil, those kinds of things. And so Paul is always trying to push against that quite a bit. So, for example, he'll say things like this in Galatians. He'll say, um, 
This is Galatians 3, 23 to 29. Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. So he's distinguishing these two things, law and faith. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith, by trust, right? Faith is ultimately about trust. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. So we're jumping back really quickly. So this means that we don't have to live under the law. We aren't, that's not how we will be saved is by somehow doing something the right way. But instead it is through faith in Jesus Christ. Continuing on, sorry. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Think about that. Clothe yourselves with Christ. And so now there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So you get put into that promise by faith, not because of something you had to do, but because we believe, we trust in what it is that God is doing. All right? Okay, so the other side of this is that there's also these really kind of personal things that Paul brings up from time to time that are kind of hurting him and aching him and all kinds of different things like this. Um, and so he'll lift this up, and especially to individuals, he will sort of bring this up too. Um, and so one of my favorite passages that I just think is a good one to keep in mind for all of us. Um, in 2 Corinthians, so remember 2 Corinthians, he is not real happy with these people, but in some ways he also recognizes that they are weak. And so he lifts up this this really interesting image. Um, in it, This comes in 2 Corinthians 12, in which he talks about having a thorn that was given to me in the flesh. Uh, he also describes that as a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So it's this idea that he still has sort of, it's not like he's perfect, he has sort of this nagging thing that keeps on kind of tormenting him and pulling him away from God. This somehow, this sort of sinfulness that sort of shows up over and over and over again. And so um, it, it shows up as he's trying to give instructions, say, to Timothy, he'll say things like, um, the love of money is the root of all evil, and he'll try to tell him, okay, this is, um, you need to have to be a little bit careful when you're leading so that you don't get too overly focused on money, that that becomes the central thing about who you are. Um, and so he tries to kind of convince them to look for other things. And so he'll do things like, um, uh, try to find passage, uh, uh, try to tell them about different ways of being and different ways of living. And so he'll talk about, my one of my favorite sections is from Philippians 4, in which he'll say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. By the way, I always think that's interesting. The Lord is near and uh, joy are sort of connected together. Um and so as he goes on, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Great past, great verse, ready? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so he's trying to convince people whether... Um, 
whether it is large groups of people or individuals, to seek out a different way, uh, a way that um, pushes past all the division that we have and instead sees us as interconnected, as part of one household, as part of one body. Over and over again, uh, we get this idea. Uh, in Ephesians, there's this great passage of the things, the dividing wall between us has been torn down in Jesus Christ. And so he's trying to bring these people together who before were separate and seeks to, to call them to a new way of life. All right, so that was a lot. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, at the moment, I think I have about 16 minutes that this thing is. Um, so here is uh, your question. When you look around and you see the ways in which we are divided up, what do you think the causes of all that is? What are the things, what do you think, what are the reasons why we tend to divide ourselves up? And then frankly, uh, how do we bring ourselves back together? What is it that, that we can do to be a part of that? Because that's really one of the things that Paul is trying to lift up. How can we be people that bring others together? All right. All right. Take a little time. Think about that. We'll talk about it on Wednesday. Y'all take care. Bye.